I can tell you this though, I can tell you this, that when I was coming back, that I saw as I was, I had all these paths to choose from. And they were all sort of like a, you know, I imagine it like a bundle of cables, um, uh, 10,000 cables all bundled together. And they, but they weren't individual, like, you know, singular copper wires. They all seemed to interconnect in some way uh, with each decision that I made. And so there was 10,000 different entry points and a million different paths to take based upon the decisions that I make in my daily life. But I saw them all. You got to accentuate the positive. Wow! I feel good. A little bit of feel good goes a long way. You're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just bad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? If you feel like that's what you want to do. Welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain. So wonderful, as always, to be with you again. Today, I've got another beautiful man to introduce you to. His name is Peter Panagore. Welcome to the show, Peter. Thank you for having me. Hello, everybody. Now, Peter's been all over the internet sharing his story. You've shared it so many times. We'll go through it briefly. You're a fantastic storyteller, a wonderful storyteller with uh, many experiences. And I think we're going to explore a few experiences that maybe you haven't explored on other shows today. Maybe? Sure, we can do that. <laughs> we All can right, do well, that. We can do that. Let me just read out your bio so people get who haven't heard of you before get an understanding of who you are. Reverend Peter Panagore is a writer, producer and host of the Sunday morning commercial television two-minute inspirational TV broadcast on two NBC stations in Maine and New Hampshire. Are you still doing that? No, it ended about a year and a half ago after 15 years, but the program was on for 91 years. And I was the fifth, I was the oh. fifth guy. I started on AM radio and moved to TV in 54 and I was the fifth guy. So I had a 15 year run. Wow, wow, I know, well, yeah, okay. Okay, oh, well, a celebrated storyteller. He has produced many morning TV spots for broadcast all told through the lens of a near-death experiencer. Author of two books, Two Minutes for God, Quick Fixes for the Spirit, and Heaven is Beautiful, How Dying Taught Me That Death is Just the Beginning. Peter is also a sailor skier, stilt walker, who earned his <laughs> BA in English from the University, BA in English from the University of Massachusetts, and his M.div, which I don't know what that is, from Yale University with a focus on schematics, analytics and historical Christian mysticism. Peter's educational background and his 35 year practice of Kriya Yoga and centering meditation, along with his work as a community pastor with the dying and grieving has given him a unique insight, language and perspective on heaven, God, death, life, love, beauty, and hope. Peter travels nationally as an in-demand public speaker about near-death experiences, the afterlife, the after effects of NDEs, and as a workshop teacher of the practice of centering prayer, also called the prayer of the heart or mindful 
heartful meditation at IAMS groups, churches, conferences, afterlife groups, and hospice organisations. He can be found at dailydevotions.org. Not anymore, I'm sorry. Not anymore. That's that closed. That oh. closed. PeterPanagor.love. Oh, oh, really? You've got a dot .love. I know. You can get one too. Um, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. Dot love. PeterPanagor.love. Oh, okay. So Daily Devotions has changed. Yeah, well, that's because the show closed. Oh, the show. So that was the name of the show. Okay. Yes. So you've got a synopsis here on your book. Shall I read it out? Sure. In the winter of 1980, college senior Peter Baldwin Panagor went ice climbing on the world-famous Lower Weeping Wall on Cirrus Mountain. Is that how you say that? Cirrus Mountain? Mm -hmm. Along the Icefield Parkways in Banff National Park, Canada. His climbing partner, an experienced ice cl climber, his climbing partner was an experienced uh, uh, ice climber, but Peter was a novice. On their descent, they became trapped on the side of a mountain as the sun set. Peter was overcome by exhaustion and hypothermia. He died on the side of the mountain in March 1980. In his minutes on the eternal other side, he experienced hell, forgiveness, unconditional love, heaven, reports Peter was beautiful. His near-death experience changed his life and resulted in an intense spiritual journey that continues to this day. So, 1980. So, it's nice seeing you. You totally summarized. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's it. <laughs> Do you like that, Andy? Well, there's lots to talk about. Look, uh, you know, you've devoted your life. You've had an experience. How old were you in 1980? You were young. I was just turned 21. Yeah. I was and a you, young person. What did you want to do before you died? Like at 21? Uh, well, I was, well, I mean, besides the normal 21-year-old things. Well, yeah, but, like what did you think yeah. your life was going to be about? I was, was going to be an architect. The fam okay. My family had an architectural business, and um, I was going to finish my undergraduate and go to grad school like my sister right. and get an architectural degree and join the family biz. Uh, I've been working in construction, swinging a hammer and cutting boards and measuring this and cutting that for quite a number of years so I could get you know, hands-on experience. Uh, I was probably do that for another three or four years while I went through grad school and then build buildings. So at the, what did the 21-year-old Peter uh, think about when he thought about life, love and the universe? Did you think about it or did you just think about I, I thought adventure? about it. You I did? thought about that. Okay. Well, I thought about that too. I, I was a I was a high adventure person. I was a novice ice climber, but I was on the National Ski Patrol. I'd been a Boy Scout. I'd been backpacking and winter camping, and um, so I was an outdoors guy, rock climbing, adventure. Uh, but I, you know, I thought a lot about love. I didn't want to get settled down with anybody. But you know, I liked women, and they liked me, and I liked to party and have fun. And but I was also a meditator. I bet you were real cute too. <laughs> oh, thanks. You're still real cute. Thanks. <laughs> well, I I, I so was you're, fortunate. You were meditating. Genetics. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I went to a, I went to a Catholic high school, uh -huh. and all, all guys Catholic high school. Uh, for it was kind of an academic sports school. And my senior year, my religion teacher 
went to this monastery nearby where Sasaki Roshi, who some of your viewers might know the name, also known as Suzuki Roshi, had been teaching uh, Zen meditation to the Trappist monks oh, a decade before. Right? So a decade goes by, they, they develop this centering prayer practice. It's kind of this mashup of Zen and, and contemplative life. And my religion teacher went on a retreat, learned how to meditate, came back to my senior class and taught us to meditate. And I took to it immediately. It was, it was a natural for me. Mm -hmm. And so that was in 77. And by the time 80 rolled around, 1980 rolled around, I'd been meditating. And after my near-death experience, meditation is really what saved me here mm -hmm. gave me because it messed me up pretty badly emotionally psychologically uh, in lots of different ways okay well, well we'll go into that let's just go through it briefly because you've shared your story and i have to say so beautifully so many times i've watched a few of your uh and you've gone really into in depth about all the gory details which we won't do today but um, we can direct people to, if they, if you really want the gory details, <laughs> you can have a look at some other, but let's go over briefly what happened that day on the mountain. Uh, well, we were ice climbing and it, it was about a 500 foot climb and I made a, an equipment mistake, a novice mistake, which slowed our climb down so that we were the last team on the face that day and when the sun went down. And we were immediately in trouble. And like I said, I was in the National Ski Patrol. I was a first responder. And so I, I, I observed us going into, hyper, into the early stages of hypothermia, which advanced through the night. And early in the evening, we decided temperature dropped. We were, we were going to die there if we stayed there mm -hmm. because the temperature dropped 30 degrees. And, and for those of your audience who don't know, this is not far from the Arctic Circle. I mean, you're within driving distance. It'd be a long drive, a couple of, you know, day and a half, but you're still not far. And so the temperature dropped, it got very cold, hypothermia set in, we decided to fight our way off the mountain. After a long night of struggle, uh, we got frostbitten, I still got frostbite. I got my nose, got my cheeks, but uh, I'm, I'm glad I do. So toward dawn, we were on our last rappel and we were clipped into the mountain, we were off the ice and on granite and there were iron pins pounded into the mountain with straps and I was in my harness strapped in and my partner was over to my left and strapped in and the rope got stuck. And by this point, um, hyperthermia, my feet were like blocks of ice. My, uh, my lips weren't working. My brain wasn't functioning well. My body temperature, all the blood rushed to the outer core of my body in order to save uh, my skin, literally. Um, and I opened up my coat which is what happens. You, you think you're hot, but you're not. And I began to fall asleep. And I woke up one time from falling asleep. And as I stood up, I got what's called tunnel vision. Uh, and I guess there's some sort of blood pressure thing that happens in the eyes. And, and this tunnel just got smaller and smaller and smaller and blacked out to nothing. And instead of falling asleep, which I had been doing, I retained consciousness. So I went, into, I went into the darkness conscious and I wondered what had happened to me. And uh, way I could see way far into the distance and to darkness, uh, a spot of intelligence, of light, uh, a being, uh, but not a substance, not like a form, came rushing toward me from this incredible distance at incredible speed and communicated to me telepathically, I'm taking you. And I resisted. Uh, but I was taken anyway. 
So I'll, I'll cut out a, little, a lot of the stuff. If you really want to know what happened, it's, it's like Karen said, it's all over the web. It's in a book. It's, it's available for you to see. But the, the bottom line is this, is that I, I went through what uh, Catherine of Genoa calls the purgative fire of divine love. She was a Catholic saint from Genoa, Italy. The purgative fire of divine love. I went through a life review. The life review I went through is to suffer all the pain I ever gave away. Only it turned out when I gave it away, I actually gave it to myself. Mm -hmm. And so I, I self-judged. Uh, I, I suffered those, that pain and I suffered the justifications and reasons that I'd caused that pain. And it was all 10,000 times magnified what I thought it was when I gave it away in the first place. And I was in this, I was an orb of consciousness in an, uh, a greater eternal illuminated darkness. Lots of contradictions in that statement. Uh, I speak in metaphor when I talk about this because there's no other way to do this. It was timeless. Okay. So when you were on the other side or not in your physical body, you were not in an astral form. You weren't in the Peter astral form. I've been but in the Peter astral form and I was not that. So that was left behind. Did you go through some stages? Like, did you sort of emerge into like what you thought was a physical body, like in an, like a subtler version? Well, you know, now that you now that you say that, and it's the funny, it's the funniest thing. I'm trying to figure stuff. I'm still trying to figure this out. It's, it's 40 yeah. years later. Yeah. When the when I what I called my angel of death, mm -hmm. my friend, the angel of death, carried me um, to this this infinite. Some people call it the void, but that's such a negative word. This was a, an eternal, timeless nothingness in which all light emitted. So, uh, so, so it, when but, but the anyway, void. But to, to answer your question, mm -hmm. by the time I got to the void and I was, I was an orb of consciousness, I had no astral self anymore. I was merely, I was pure consciousness. I, I saw myself in comparison to the divine love that said, with soundlessness, I, I love you, I made you, I've always known you, You're for, I forgive you for being human. It's not your fault that you caused this pain. You were just like all humans, and I could see all humans, You're, it's just the way it is in that universe. Not your fault, I love you as you are. And then I saw my, I saw my, 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 my created self, like the, the origin of my being as a the ground of my being like a photon of existence, a light from light and the long tail of my soul. And I was infilled with oneness, joy, beauty, adoration, love, bliss, paradise, knowledge, understanding, beauty, love, beyond explanation, beyond expression. And I was, I guess, inflated by this. And I felt like one more drop of the bliss of oneness, I would have obliterated. And I was still a separate entity from the divine, but I was inside the divine and the divine was inside me and I was of the divine, but yet I was also a creature made by the creator. Mm -hmm. um, so it's all these kind of paradoxical things mixed together. And there were no things here. I could describe this place as nothing mm -hmm. because there were no things. I was not even a thing. All thingness is in this world. And mm -hmm. in where I was, there was no thingness at all. Mm -hmm. And, um, I could see, okay, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I'm just, you know, trying to get a, wrap my puny human mind around it. Um, so when you're in this place of no thingness, you weren't in darkness. Were you in like, mm -mm. were you in like color and light? Like, were you in? There was no color. There was illumination of, 
I was darkness, okay? But it was darkness that it extended. I could, I was like a single eyeball. All of my senses were one thing and I could see in every direction simultaneously. Mm -hmm. and, but I had no brain in the way of processing information either. I was processing information faster than I could ever have processed it before or since. And so I could see eternal eternity in every direction and it was dark but it was also illuminated, I, like I could see. It wasn't dark, so like, it was a, a, like when it's really pitch dark, you can't see, right? It yeah. was pitch dark like that, except for it was also illuminated at the same time. And I was alone. There was not, there were no, I didn't meet my great aunt, you know, Josephine, or, you know, Jesus yeah. didn't come to me. I was by myself, but I was in the presence of the divine that was everything that I could sense and more. So this happened as soon as you uh, blacked out, right? Like you didn't go through. Pretty close. Yeah, you yeah. didn't go meet grandma first and then go on. It's just, you know. No, like, I, got, I got scooped out and taken and popped. Yeah. Yeah. So Why me? I don't know. Because uh, you chose it. Like, um, well, why you? Okay, so let's look at that. So you say, why me? I don't know. I think you do know. Like, what? Well, I knew over on the other side. On this side, it's a lot more difficult. I brought back a little bit of knowledge with me, but I understood a lot more over there than I understand here. So in 40 years of dissecting it, talking about it, <laughs> preaching about it, <laughs> what have you come up with with the answer to why me? I'm a messenger. Mm -hmm. I came back uh, as a messenger. Mm -hmm. And that's the best I, I understand. And it's not my message. And I, I've distilled the message down to simplicity. And that's that uh, God is love. And love is the treasure of earth, life, and heaven. And the, the more we love each other, the greater our capacity to be loved. And all the love we give away, we get to keep. And, that's, and that can be expressed either in words or in deeds or in actions. Or, or, or it can be emoted through camera and lens. It can be it can be projected into human beings. It can be shared. It it it's, and it's not like I'm love. It's like, it's not like I am loved by God. It's like I am made of love. Yeah, yeah. You know, I spoke to Nancy Ryan's a few years back, who was an mm. atheist who died, an mm -hmm. atheist who died. I love it. You know, she's a scientist and an atheist, and um, she was trying to describe her experience. And I say trying because I think we can only. <laughs> try <clears throat> to all we can do the words um poor medium and she said you know not only are we made of love like everything's made of love it's like love is the matrix of the universe and i yes. just love that you know like it's like the substance that everything is made of <clears throat> is the this 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 understanding we have of love which again from a human perspective is like really puny in, in comparison to what love is because we say i love ice cream i love my daughter i love my cat i love my dog i love my Partner. Right. And that's um, a very conditional love that we're used to. Okay. And this is unconditional love. And this is an unconditional, this is the all encompassing. So, so when I said, you know, what do you think you went for? And you said, I'm a messenger. I had this thought before we came online because I'd already had a lot, some of this conversation in my head really just happens. You know, I, I start, I'm putting my makeup on and the conversation we're about to have starts unfolding. <laughs> And then I, I start asking questions. It's, it's interesting how that happens. I, I was thinking, so many people have near-death experiences 
come back as a messenger. You know, they come back to relay their story, mm -hmm. to tell their experience, and and you've kind of taken it, you know, a bit further. You're out there preaching and teaching and, you know, poetry and everything. Imagine if everyone understood what you understood in that moment of being there, then no one would have to be the messenger, right? Imagine. Nobody needs to be. That's right. Right. And, because and so, everybody would be. And so, well, not, it's not like everyone would be the messenger because who would you be telling if everybody has that understanding? But what could you do with your life with that understanding? Do you know what I mean? Like, instead of being the messenger, like, let me tell you, let me remind me. You oh, oh, I don't mean messenger like telling it because I kept it a secret for 20 years. Yeah. Why did you do that? Well, because I didn't have any words to express mm -hmm. what I experienced. And so when I say messenger, I don't mean a person. I, I, I speak a lot. Okay. That's, I speak a lot. I write a lot. I speak a lot, but that's really not where the bulk of my work has been. The bulk of my work has been an attendance to those who are suffering, whether it's from poverty yeah. or domestic violence or um, homelessness or, you know, whatever Dying. it's it, dying it's it's in the direct interaction with the people and for most of my time for all the time but the last two years i was a pastor I, I nobody knew that this had happened to me i didn't i told my wife i went through divinity school nobody knew i practiced i studied mysticism um because i, I think it might have been i don't remember who said it, it might have been saint francis or augustine or somebody um you know preach preach the gospel use words if you have to and so I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm much more interested in communicating directly with people, the divine experience mm. and whether, whether that's through a caring action or the recipient of a caring action, because when we receive care from other people, we provide them the opportunity to be the, to be the kindness giver, which is a loving thing too. Um, but what I was th thinking was imagine a world where everyone had the knowing of who we are as this matrix oh. of love. What you, no would, more war. what you would do with your life if you understood that. I mean, uh, if you didn't need to share that and to remind people of who they are, like what else could you do with your life? Just the thought, just the thought mm. I was doing over putting my Mac on this morning. But let me ask you, why, why did you come out of the NDE closet? Like what was the catalyst oh, to make you good share question. with people? Well, I got, I got recruited because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I should explain something before we go on. Uh, so that people understand. I'm a United Church of Christ minister ordained, but I'm, I came back from death with no belief system. I don't believe in, I don't believe in God. I have no faith. I have no doubt because God's real and God has no gender and God has no form and God is beyond all conceptualization. God is, even the word God's way too small. Mm -hmm. um, but I became an ordained minister in order to pursue sort of like uh, Wordsworth and Blake, the poets, or uh, uh, Henry David Thoreau, the American writer, um, people like that who were went to divinity school and lived a mystical life. I chose to live a mystical life in the context of the world, in the construct of the religious form where I could reach the most people. Um, yeah. yeah, like So that, that being... Like Howard Storm, yeah. Like Howard Storm. So like that yeah. being said, okay, just so that people know where I'm coming from. Um, I, I don't remember your question. Oh, the question was, why did you come out of the NDE closet? Like, oh, so, right. so, so you've come okay. back, you've come back from this experience of the 
oneness and the divinity and the all, the all, the all. And then you've like, okay, I'm going to devote my life to this. So you've become a minister. And now you've like 20 years later, you've decided to share what you'd been through. What made you make that decision? Well, I was operating as, uh, I was operating within the church as an opportunity for myself to study and meditate because no one's going to ask the minister why he's spending so much time in meditation and and scholarship. So I was kind of like being a spy and um, (laughs) working for God in the church. Um, so I got called to this church on this, this resort town, uh, on the coast of Maine, a well-off place under false circumstances. They lied about their finances. It turns out that they'd been embezzled a large sum of money before I arrived. And then the group that did that dastardly deed protected the new embezzler. And when I began poking around, uh, they got really upset at me. Uh And uh, over an eight-year period, a small group of us uh, continued to try to find the truth. Uh, They tried to defrock me, ruin me financially. And I should also tell your audience, former CIA spy, ExxonMobil vice president, commodities broker, and an attorney who was in prison for embezzlement now were the team trying to destroy me. Uh, and so who was the uh, CIA person? They, uh, one of the men who was trying to ruin my career because oh. I was poking around too much. But career being a minister, how do you ruin? Yeah. You can't ruin a minister's career, like everyone. Oh like, yes, you can. Oh, can you? All right. You oh, can I don't deep, know. Yeah, I could, you totally I look at the, can. I look at Catholicism, and they seem to be able to like. <laughs> Ah, uh, well, do all sorts of terrible things and they still go on to be <laughs> anyway. Sorry, go on. Sorry. Well, I guess my circumstance was different. And um, that's what you're saying is true, though. Um, so we finally we finally figured out the embezzlement. Um, and it was to, to, to say in a couple of words, it was terrible for me and my family. They really tried to destroy me and ruin me, uh, not ruin my reputation um, and wreck me from any professional capacities that I would have going forward. I mean, they didn't just try to fire me. They tried to destroy me, but they failed because we found the embezzler and um, I I reported to the police, et cetera, et cetera. And so in the end, one Sunday morning after this was all over, the deacons had had a meeting with the congregation unbeknownst to me. And I was climbing into the pulpit and the deacon came up to me and said, Peter, we're really sorry for what we did to you. We didn't know. We thought that I, I was accused. Okay. It was bad enough that I was accused of theft. All right. And, and so they said, we're really sorry. You must've had a lot of faith to put up with us. And I thought to myself, I don't have any faith. I've been lying to these people every time I got in the pulpit talking about belief. Their belief, sure, that's real. My belief don't have a spot of it. So I decided that morning, I climbed into the pulpit and I said, look, I got to tell you something. Um, because I think we, I think you trust me enough now that I can trust you with the truth. And so I told them uh, that I had died. I told them the first time I told the story publicly uh, to a, a, a totally silent house everybody was completely still and yep they're like what (laughs) and uh so that's why i came out to them because i finally trusted them because they trusted me and i live in a small town right so everybody knows pretty much everybody and within a week five other people in town came up to me and whispered in my ear i died too 
I got brought back by the EMTs. I got brought back by the surgeon and I can't tell anybody. And so this was 19, God, this was like, what year was this? 20 years ago. Yeah, well, a little longer than that now. It's probably 98, could have been 2000, something. I can't remember the year exactly. Yeah. But it was about that time period. And, um, and that's, so then I got recruited to this TV gig and I kind of started poking around on my, on my daily stories around this issue. And, and then I started working in New York and I, got, I was getting grants out of New York and the group in New York found out about this about me. And so they said, you need to write a book. All right. I just want to back up a bit. And we'll cut, we'll sure. Cut. I just want to back up a bit. Okay, so you're standing on the pulpit and you're telling people about faith and you're thinking... I don't have to have faith. I don't have to trust anything because I have this knowing, I have this experience, so I need to come out. How does one with that knowing deal, like with that knowing of that we're all love, deal with people who have forgotten that they're love, who are trying to do what these people were trying to do to you? So if you have this knowing of the reality of every being, and then there are people trying to, as you say, destroy you. I loved them. Okay. How, how did that look? How did you love them? Well, that didn't mean I put up with their bullshit. Um, <laughs> okay. So be clear about that. Cause I'm not, I'm not a wallflower. Um, I, I'm, I'm kind of a fighter. Um, but I, but that doesn't mean I thought that they were evil. I never thought that they, I fought back against them pretty hard, but I love them anyway. And so, so uh, let me think if I could give a good example. Um, one of the people who was involved in this group was a former United States Navy ship's captain. He'd run a destroyer or a battleship or something or other. And uh, he was kind of in their camp and he gave me a really, really hard time. And then he got cancer and his wife, who was nicer to me, called me up in the middle of the night one night and said, you know, the captain's fallen out of bed. Can you come and pick him up? And this guy, he, I, he gave me so much trouble. Uh, uh -huh. So I got over to, I got over to there and he's lying on the floor in his diaper and he's like 78 years old and he's lying on the floor half naked in his diaper. And I said, captain, I'm going to pick your diapered ass up off the floor and you're going to let me do it. And then I'm going to sit here and we're just going to talk. And I did that and you know she called me back a bunch of other times and I, I always loved this guy even then he, even when he was mean to me and he had a very good death as a result and uh, because he got rid of some of the pain he was carrying and guilt. some of the blindness mm -hmm. and the guilt mm -hmm. and there was a woman in the church who was the wife of one of these this Exxon Mobil vice president guy and she ran the women's fellowship and uh, when we hired a gay organist and, and his partner and, and the gay organist came to the church. Um, and it was the time before marriage, gay marriage was legal where I live. Um, and I've done gay marriages, by the way. Um, the, they were just beginning to talk about it. And there was a big article in the newspaper and she slid it all across the table and said, Peter, I hope you never do a marriage like this in the church. And I said to her, if I do, I'm never telling you. And I probably will. <laughs> And, um, and uh, so she got up, oh, she got so angry. And that Sunday when I told the congregation what had happened about the embezzlement, those people, they all left the church. Years go by. I run into her in the grocery store. She doesn't want to talk to me. 
Her husband's dead. I went up and I gave her a kiss on the cheek and I said, Alan, you know, I, I never hated you. I always loved you. And that was it. So how do you love someone and fight them as well? Uh, you ever have kids? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my biggest teacher. <laughs> You yeah, know, when so, someone's telling you they hate you and you're horrible and telling you all yes. Actually, I had that experience with my brother the other day, you know, like just before Christmas. He's like saying all these horrible things and I'm just looking at him. And I didn't see what he's saying is true. I just saw his pain and I just went up to his hot, sweaty face because he was exploding like a volcano and just kissed him and said, I love you. That's um, all you can do. But, you know, like he wasn't suing me or he was just having a bit of a moment. Uh yeah, so, these people were really trying to destroy me. Yes. Look, I think that, you know... If I can't help I, I can't help but see inside every single person. One of the, There are a lot of side effects from near-death experience or after effects. And one of them for me is I can't help but see... People call it an aura. People call it the light. There's lots of names for this thing. I see it in every single person, mm -hmm. every single day, every single time. And I can't shut it off. It's not like it's... A, I've aspired to do this, all right? This is just... Uh, something that happens and it's got me in plenty of trouble because I yeah, uh, I get into trouble when I see more light than an, in a person than they're willing to express in the world you know they want to be evil in the world I still you know give give them the benefit of the doubt until they you know hurt me and then I studied martial arts I'm happy to punch somebody if they're punching me I'm, I don't want to hit anybody but if they're attacking me I'm gonna defend myself Okay. And, and the trick to martial arts is you don't get angry when you're fighting. Mm -hmm. No, right. You stay centered. Yeah. You stay centered. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we were going to go back and I can't remember where we were going to go back to. I lost my train of thought. Oh, how we came out. Oh, how you came out. Yeah. So you're standing on the point and you tell people they're silent. Um, and then, yeah, then what happens? So then a bunch of people in town came up to me and whispered in my ear, I'm like that too. And then I got retuited to, tele to television and began poking around. So we were on every day. So every morning in the morning, just before the weather, I had two minutes to tell a story, an inspirational story, which is what that Two Minutes for God book is all about. And th these, are, these are stories that can air on a commercial broadcast and never mention God. So I poked around a little bit in near-death experience, and then I ended up working in New York, uh, getting grants, and this granting organization said, oh, you, you died and came back, you need to write a book. I said, I don't think I'm ready to come out. You know, that's a pretty big career killer, you know? It's, it was, this was 2013, and I know because it was two years before I wrote the book, they, they produced my book trailer. Mm -hmm. Two years before I even wrote the book. <laughs> and um, and that's still on, it's on YouTube. It's still there. And um, I came out and the book came out and and I've been do, you know talking about this ever since publicly. So, so for at least half my career, I kept it a secret. And now when I speak about it, what I'm trying to do is bring the subject up to people so that they consider their own mortality. I'm not interested in convincing anybody because they're gonna find out when they die anyway. It's not my job to convert anybody. I just wanna help people have hope and not be afraid. Mm -hmm.
So when you were uh, in that other environment, did you have any like communication with other beings or other points of consciousness or just the divine, the holy, the holy divine, which, which is the totality of all beings that there are. Yeah. So you experienced it as the ocean and, and you didn't sort of see any little drops of the ocean. No, nope. uh, it was, it was the, it was individuated enough to communicate to me non-verbally with a voice inside myself, like telepathic speaking inside the orb of my being. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a communication that occurred and it was individuated enough for that, but it was, it was it was the the whole divine. I saw I I saw the the origin of myself being birthed, as my my unspeakable name was called into being, eons ago. I could see the long tail of my eternal everlasting soul. I saw the createdness of my own substance as an orb, not just as a body, Peter, and my astral self, but as a as an orb of consciousness. I was creature created. And I was part and parcel. I was, you know, in the in the Bible, it talks about the in the image of a reflection of a, a a copy of a reduction of the totality of the divine. That was me. Like and, but hologram. it wasn't just, yeah. But it wasn't just me. It's everybody. Yeah. It's yeah. it's it's everybody. And um, an extension of source energy. An extension of source energy. There's lots of languages yeah. that we use to express this. And I specifically chose Christianity as a mechanism of reaching to the audience that was most predominant in my area. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so you've been speaking to people in churches predominantly. And I. Predominantly. Ions. Ions and conferences, but predominantly people in churches that are seeking. It's, yeah. Look, does, do you have an impact on people in churches? I don't know. I, every time I go to a church, I look at people listening <laughs> and I just feel like they're not listening because they're going there because they're good people. And if you go to church, you'll be a good person. And it's like brownie points in heaven. I don't know. It seems to be for many people something they have to do or a chore, like tick it off. It's, uh, um, I'm a troublemaker and a pot yeah. stirrer. And so in the last couple of years, because after the TV show closed, I started doing church gigs again, you know, whenever I get hired on Sunday morning. And I decided to be a missionary. And what I decided to do was begin to take surveys as I stand in the pulpit. And so I asked the audience, the congregation, who here has ever seen or been visited by someone they loved after that person's been dead? And generally speaking, 50 to 70% of the congregation raise their hand. Yeah, that's cool. And they have some kind of telepathic communication. I love you. I forgive you, whatever it happens to be. And I say, so who here has told somebody? Everybody who, everybody says, yeah, I do. Who here has ever told anybody in church? Nobody. nobody. I know, nobody. right? Yeah. So, so I've been trying, what I've been trying to do is explore the, the more common mystical experiences because I think near-death experience is a mystical experience. It's not outside the parameters of William James' varieties of religious experience. You ever read that book? No. It's an American. Uh, he, was a, he was a Scotchman who, who was in Glasgow and then ended up at Harvard. And there are four points. It's, it's passive. You don't make it happen. It's transient. It has beginning and an end. It has noetic effect. It leaves you with knowledge that's unspeakable, and it's unspeakable. It's ineffable. And whenever anybody talks about their visitation of their dead loved one, mm-hmm. 
it's hard to really express exactly what went on because it might be kind of kooky if you say it out loud to people. But there's lots of other experiences like that too, like angels coming to save people or speak to them or or visitations from uh, Jesus or or the, there's lots of different kinds of mystical experiences. The when two people are, are at the moment of orgasm and they they transcend the individuation of themselves and they blend into a oneness of being, that's a mystical experience too, um, because the two become one and you're, you, you know that when that happens. You know, so that's what I talk about in church. You talk about orgasms in church, love it. You know, you I, I, I really, part of my mandate is to take it out of the mystical closet and to put it into the normal closet you know the, that's what i'm saying i'm having it is i'm having these conversations and have done for well, well probably about 25 years really but on cat you know on on media for about 10 years because we need to normalize this stuff and take it out of the woo-woo closet or the mystical closet or even the holy divine closet because there's plenty mm -hmm. of people that don't go for holy divine and it's just a part of who i am you know it's like it's just that remembering of my source, of my origin, uh, you know, where I come from as I insert myself into this earth experience and play, you know, play this character called Peter or Karen and, and uh, just to carry that remembrance of my origin as I'm, as I'm sojourning through this physical life experience. And so that's why I asked you that question, like, how do you, fight someone and love them at the same time because here we are we're going to experience contrast and polarity and and we're going to fight people it's going to happen but how do we remember that we're not the fight that we are the love behind the fight you know by 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 seeing the light itself inside another person yeah that's how i that's how i do it you know one of the experiences i had was with a neighbor uh, I won't go into it, who was pretty angry and, and threatening and, and abusive and got a bit physical with me. And I was really I was hanging the washing out in the line one day and I was really angry. And I'm like, I want to revenge, you know, how can I hurt this person having these terrible thoughts, you know, because I was hurt by human, human, human mm -hmm. thoughts, having human thoughts. He'd ripped me off, um, you know, financially and blah, blah, blah. And uh, And my mob said to me, my guide said to me, you don't need to do anything you know, you can love this person because his frequency, his anger is going to give him more pain than you could ever possibly wish on him. Like yep. his, you know, like attracts like, like his anger and resentment mm -hmm. and him taking that out on you, you know, that is going to come back to him. And so I like listened to this and I thought, yeah, I don't need to do anything. He, he's going to hurt himself more than I could ever want to hurt him. And, you know, he was a lovely man. He went on to become a coach, life coach. But he lost his daughter, you know, his, 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 um, his wife took her back to New Zealand. He lost his job. He ended up working as a garbage man, you know, to try and make some money. And a truck or something hit the garbage truck and he was like run over by a car and then he's in a wheelchair. Like all these terrible things happened to him. And, you know, a couple of years after the fact, I remember looking at, it, at all this disaster that had unfolded in his life. And thought, wow, were they right? I would never have wished the pain on this man that he's been through. Like, I just mm -hmm. wanted to get my money back and, you know, like, sort of like, you know, just sort of, I don't know what I wanted to do. I was in that moment of like, Arr. and uh, they were so right. Like, I didn't need to do anything. Just like your no. friend who, 
was awful to you and then he ends up in a nappy and like suffering and then you're there to sort of lend a loving hand and yep. yeah so, yeah well that's the difference that's the difference between offense and defense is is that if you're defending yourself from someone hurting you that's one thing mm -hmm. but if you're attacking someone who already hurt you yeah that's an entire that's an entirely different thing that's an entirely different thing yeah yep yeah Right. So, okay. So when you came back from the cliff experience, what did you notice that had changed in your afterlife effects, you know, like your psychic ability or after near death effects, you know, so many labels like your psychic ability. What, what was the first thing you noticed? Like this conversation you're having with the divine, the all that is, you know, this telepathic communication, was that ongoing when you came back? Uh, it was ongoing when I came back. So that, how did yeah. that look to you? How did that look to you in your, you're back in your, I, well, uh, being back in my, I chose to come back. I should tell your, your audience. I, I pick, I chose to come back. Um, and the last thing I said to the divine was, well, then I choose to live my life. And the divine says, you won't live your life. And then I get sent back. And so then the, the next we self-rescued, uh, it's in the book. We, we had a terrible car wreck the next night car was totaled wow. and I had, you know, I was hit a semi head on and um, but, but and we went under the rear wheels and blew the car apart. And so Did I was hitchhiking. No, I had another I had another um, life review, but it was I stayed in my body at the time. It was like watching a movie of my life the second time. It was like like a film running across my vision like what and things are flying around this cassette decks flying around the car and my partners used to scream and we're on two wheels we're like ah! it was crazy so the next day after that uh, we had enough money to put tim on a bus so tim went on a bus we had all sorts of skis and poles and ice climbing gear we'd been snow caving for a week so tim got on the bus took all the big gear and he got back to bozeman montana which is eight hours away. And I hitchhiked because I'd been hitchhiking all over the country for a long time, for years. And so I hitchhiked. And as I stood in the sunrise to answer your question, I'm standing outside, the sun's coming up and I'm like, what is this thing that I'm stuck inside of? This is just, what? I gotta, I gotta put food in this to make it work. And, and, and I'm cold and my, this hurts and, and, and I felt like it, I was in a beautiful place, beautiful Saskatchewan, no, uh, southern, not Saskatchewan, southern Alberta and uh, Canada, really gorgeous place. And it was ugly to me. It was like everything was two dimensional and flat and uh, tactile and sort of crude and um, gross, um, including me. Now, I wasn't like including my body and myself. And meanwhile, inside me, this voice that had no sound was screaming like a, a roaring lion inside me, speak, speak. And I'm like, I'm not freaking speaking. There's no way, I'm, I don't even know what, I, I don't even understand what happened to me. So the first thing is there's this voice that was always talking inside me, calling my name. So. When I was dead, my, I, could, I heard my soul name called, but it's unpronounceable. I can't say it. And so that, that's going inside me. The voice is saying, speak. I'm, 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 seeing, I'm seeing light inside people. I'm seeing um, 
I live in like two places at once. It's like most of me is still in heaven and part of me is here. I'm like inside my body looking out through my eyes. I'm like, uh, and, and I'm trying to hitchhike back to Bozeman. And I was, a, I had a stutter. I got a car wreck gave me a stutter. And I never stuttered the day before, but I had a stutter the next day. And so I went back to Bozeman. I hitchhiked all the way back, smuggled myself across the Canadian border with this, this guy I sit in his car. And um, I went on a theater tour. I was on a theater company. We're going on a three-month tour around the United States, and it, but it was sign language, American Sign Language for the Deaf. And I was a mime. I was studying. So I was a performer. So I didn't have to actually speak. I could just sign. So my stutter wasn't pronounced. And because we're going on tour, I got to, we had a 15 passenger van and a pickup truck with a trailer. I took my mountain climbing gear with me on this trip because we left in March. And I sat in the back of the pickup truck by myself for 24,000 miles away from the, from everybody, all my friends. And I, I meditated, I meditated and I sat and I tried to figure out what had happened to me and I would have these periods of time where where time would time would be eliminated for me I'd just be sitting in like time would I would be in I don't know how to describe it I was in a place of peace without myself and and time would pass and then I'd be back again and um, okay when you say self you mean your personality self my personality Peter it's like the, was, thoughts, the thoughts that says, what do I want for lunch? What am I going to do next? You know, or, who I, or who I am. Yeah. Identity, without the identity. Ident the, without identity. To the and, ego and the body, to the personality, to the mind. Yeah, yeah. And then I had to deal with people. I mean, that's all like, you know, I had to interact. And I, I uh, it was, it was crazy. So there are other after effects too. I have these, I, I see... I see the world before it happens, like moments before, like I remember what's going to happen before it happens. Yeah, I know. Um, I do that all the time too. It's freaky. It's I, freaky. I, I had this experience when I was younger. I was asking my mob, okay, where the creators are, are of our reality, are we creating our reality or are we remembering it? And that's the question. Yeah. And I remember I was at a, uh, somewhere and uh, like a market and I was looking at a mug and I picked it up and I had this thought, you know, you're going to drop this mug or I saw it. I don't even know if it was a thought. And, yep. um, and then I dropped the mug and then I had this question, did I create that or did I predict it? Like, you know, like there was that question again, like I saw it before it happened and then it happened like moments before. Like moments before. So I find gonna, time to be very slippery. It's slippery, slippery little bugger. Okay, so I'm going to ask you that question. Do we create our reality or do we predict it? I don't know. <laughs> I, do, I, I can tell you this, though. I can tell you this, that when I was coming back, that I saw as I was, I had all these paths to choose from. And they were all sort of like a, you know, I imagine it like a bundle of cables, um, uh, 10,000 cables all bundled together. And they, but they weren't individual, like, you know, singular copper wires. They all seemed to interconnect in some way uh, with each decision that I made. And so there was 10,000 different entry points and a million different paths to take based upon the decisions that I make in my daily life. But I saw them all. 
Yeah. You know, I had this conversation with the last person on the show, Peter Smith, who's a hypnotherapist, uh, because it was an extension of another conversation I'm having with someone who's coming up on the show who said, you know, there's no free will. She said to me as we were having just a conversation before, you know, to put her on the show. And um, she said, you know, the beings told me that everything's already happened. And so there's no free will. It's a weird kind of dichotomy because when I was dead, I was in a place of all time and no time. Yeah. You know, the all the, one of the things that, that the divine said to me um, was that now, now you know that I have always loved you. I love you now and I will always love you. And my love is 10 trillion times greater than you could ever imagine. And it's, it always has been, is, and will be all at once. And so I, 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 I wish there were lots of things that I knew when I was dead. I don't know now. And people, one of the things, one of the after effects is that people say, well, earth is a school. Mm -hmm. It's like when I was dead, anything I wanted to know, I knew. Yeah. instantly everything i needed to know i wanted yeah. to know about all cosmology and the structure of the universe and mm -hmm. from quantum to macro i knew it all all mm -hmm. boom so uh it seems to me that living is really about love it's like it's like that it's like the love of god loves itself or the light the light sees itself or well you know we've had this conversation in my online groups uh, some people said, is life a school or not? Because, you know, there's this dichotomy. If we're an extension of the source energy that is infinite knowing and infinite intelligence, then what have we got to learn? Like, why would we come right. here to learn? What are we doing here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, here's the school. We don't come here to learn to be God or to be spiritual. We come here to school ourselves in not being God, in, in being human or, be, you know, the school is the forgetful, the forgetting. It's like okay, school is it's a for forgetting. Yeah, you're gonna forget and then you're gonna learn you're gonna learn what that's like to not you know, you're gonna know what it's like to not know because when you know, you don't know what it's like to not know. So you're gonna learn what it's like to not know. Well, that's the most sensible explanation I've heard yet. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> so there's the school. And then once you not once you don't know, once you forget, what are you going to do with your life? Are you going to stay in that not knowing and live from the choices that you make in that mindset, or are you going to remember? You know, for me, when I asked you that question, why do you think it happened to you? I think it was just like a sledgehammer wake up call. You're like, I want you to remember who you are so that you can live your life in remembering, and not in the not knowing. That's true, and I think as a in service to others. In service to others. Well, I think that, you know, wake up so that you can wake up others. Yeah. You can That's kind of what, yeah. right. Because, because otherwise uh, I already know that I'm known and I can't not know that I, I, you know, that's something that's always permanent with me. And so what's my, what's the point of being here if not to help other people find that remembrance for themselves. Yeah. And, as and, you not, say, to, and not to force them. As you say, it's in those moments of, grief and pain when we're in our most forgetfulness because the pain is because we've forgotten that love and so when someone leaves you or someone dies you've you've got this illusion that that's that love that you are has been taken from you right so, that's what um, that's what grief is that's what grief is yeah and how could it ever be taken from you if you are that 
but it's that forgetting that you're that that you grieve and so someone like you or anybody me anybody that remembers that love is there to remind others that you, it can you can never lose it it can never be lost and, but you can still grieve i mean i i when my sister um andrea died mm. when she was that, 56 i i, I she's in she's in my book uh if you read it there's a reason i, I left out a reason i was in did you send me the book? I, I think I did a long time ago. It's probably oh, so. I haven't read it. Right. Sorry, I haven't read it. Uh, no, uh, that's okay. But didn't your but, sister die before you died? You had another sister that died. No, I had my sister died after. Well, my sister died kind of in between. I've died twice, and so she died. She died after my first death and before my second. Oh, okay. So I, I saw you saying to you know to God, I, I don't want to die because my mother's so grieving. Oh, because my because my sister had had died. vanished. Yeah. Not died. She vanished. She oh. ran away and vanished, and my mom had a uh, an extended breakdown as a result. Oh, I and, see. Right. And the, right. the the grief that she was suffering under um, impacted her significantly psychologically. Right. And um and she's still alive. I saw her over the weekend. I just listened, you know. I saw and my dad too. So and I mom. just couldn't. Yeah, my mom and my dad. Um, they're still alive. I came back the first time from death for them so that they would not lose another child yeah, because you know this time it was going to be for real loss mm -hmm. first time was bad enough second time was going I to see. be yeah, yeah. and i and i knew i knew because i was beloved and i could see that every human being was is beloved and that that love that the divine has for us is now was and will be eternally beyond our our ability to understand its unconditional nature um, that they were going to be fine if I died in yeah. the end yeah, when yeah. they died, but yeah. in between, not so much. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I came back for that reason. And, um, so let me ask you, so you just sister died at 56. So that was more recently. Yeah. That was maybe seven years ago. Okay. I'd have to look at the exact date, but when you did come back from mom and dad, did you tell them what had happened to you on them? Oh, no, 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 no. Did you? No, I didn't. They obviously know now. You're like totally out of the closet now. Like, how many years? Oh, uh, well, I it, how many? It, I told them when I told everybody at the church. I okay. uh, up and up until then, I had told my wife on the night before our marriage. She mm -hmm. says, "Now, Peter, you, you told me on the next morning." Well, either way, it was unfair to her. She'd already witnessed some crazy stuff happening, and bird, animal things, animals around me, kind of thing not normal kind of things that happen. St. And, Francis, um, what, their birds they, are landing on you? <laughs> yeah, the, the, that, kind, that kind of stuff. <laughs> and other things. Uh, uh, yeah, I, had a I had a grizzly bear lay on me once. Um, really? Yes, <laughs> for real. And um, Just to take a nap? <laughs> uh, no, scared the pants off me, I'll tell you. Um, but that was actually before I died. So I was already kind of that way. Um, but so... Where was I? I was um, parents telling you. Oh parents. yeah, I told my wife. I told uh, my friend who witnessed a mystical experience that lasted three days. That I better, I thought I better tell him that so he wouldn't. My wife and he wouldn't commit me into Yale New Haven psychiatric unit. Um, and I told my best friend from my childhood. So mm -hmm. I and I didn't tell my parents because I didn't think they're going to believe me. Um, but. About three years ago, I was visiting them and I said, so did you know? 
And my dad said, well, you know, you, you were a different person when you came back from out West. Yeah. He said, it's not that you weren't kind before, but you were really kind. You actually started taking us into your consideration. Right. Something and, I'm still waiting for my right. to do. And well, it's getting better. The older she gets, the more better. Like, it happens with a you grow into it, right? You grow into it, yeah, yeah. You do. But yeah. I, I kind of had this sudden conversion to it. And um and so, but in terms of their believing me, it was after I, the book came out and understanding. I'm I'm still trying to tell them that yeah. You know, I'm still trying to convince them. They kind of believe me, but it's it's hard for them. Okay, okay. I don't understand how they'd not believe you because are they religious? Sort of, yeah, you know, sort of. Okay, so um, they're not churchgoers. They were, but, you know, a church can burn people and they got burned a little bit. Yeah, I get and, that. But, but, you know, I'm thinking that why wouldn't they believe you? If you're an atheist, maybe I, I'd get it, but if you're... A church goer, you know, heaven. Oh, because it's because it because it, the radical change is so extreme, and the after effects are so pronounced that it's really pretty hard for people to, who don't witness, the uh, witness the ex, or don't experience it directly. It's hard for them to understand it. I mean, I and and I get that. When you it, say believe you, believe you that you died and went to heaven or went to that place of eternal everything. Yes or believe you that you can do the stuff that you can do or know the things well, that you can all, do? All of the above. Okay. So where all are they the sitting now with the sort of belief? Around? Well, they're both, they're both in their late 80s now, very late 80s, and their health is, their health is not well, mm -hmm. not good. And um, I had a talk the other day. My dad is, they're both thinking about their mortality. Well, I'm just going to say, like, they're going to be there soon. They're going to be asking you questions. And so in the last couple of years, two years ago, my sister, who's deceased, yeah. and my grandparents, my mom's parents, both, all three of them came to my mom in a dream. Oh, nice. And my sister, Andrea, apologized oh, nice. yeah. to my mom for causing her so much pain. Mm. And my mom came away from that experience. She's had a few kind of that, those things in her life. Um, but mostly she didn't, she didn't want me to be special. You know, you, you want it's better to be, you know, like everybody else, you know, better not to be stand out too much. And my parents were concerned that my career was going to be deep sixed because of, which is an American expression for getting buried um, okay. uh, to uh, the, the coming out as much as I did talking about it as much as I did is going to ruin my career chances for, you know, getting a job. And that's not, not untrue. Okay. <laughs> Um, so, uh, but it also, it's who I am and what I am. And that's, I know where I'm from and I know where I'm going and I'm on the, I'm, I'm not from here. I live in this body. It's not who I am. And I'm doing my job while I'm here. And then I get to go home again. And so, and so in 2015, the same thing that killed my sister could almost killed my dad. And back in the early eighties, could we have a, a, a cardiac thing in our family? And so I died in 2015 of a heart attack. Mm -hmm. And died in the ambulance on the way to uh, the cath the catheterization lab an hour and a half from my house, and I chose to come back this time for my granddaughter who has just been born, mm -hmm. and and now my life is all around her, and she's you know I'm still I'm her substitute father, and she's the star of my life, and she's the reason I'm hanging out around here, and so she's five, she's turning five in a couple of weeks. 
So what happened when you died that time, five years ago? Uh, I, I had 100% blockage in my, in my widow maker. Uh, I, I was but runner. What, but what happened to uh, your consciousness? Oh, oh, oh. Not I, your body. <laughs> right. So I was in the ambulance and um, uh, I was dying and the paramedics called ahead and were losing him. And I, I left my body and I go, I, my angel, I was in the dark tunnel and my angel of death came calling for me, come home, come home. It's time to come home, come home again. We love you. We want you come to us. And so I left. And on the way with the angel, I'm thinking, uh, I haven't gone that far yet. We're not going that fast this time. Let me think about this for a moment. So I kind of turned away from the angel and thought about my son who had been in the in the urgent care center with me and he had shown he's 23 and the doc had told him I was gonna die on the way. Good chance I was gonna die on the way, such a long drive. I was well outside the golden hour of heart attack. And so he said, Good, I love you, Dad. I, I, um, I love you, Dad. And I started thinking about him, and I started thinking about my daughter, who just had this baby. She just left her abusive husband. And uh, who's going to protect the kid? Who's going to protect my daughter? She's going to grow up without a dad. Is it really a good time for me to go? I know where I'm from. I know where I'm going. Uh, I know life is the wink of an eye. Maybe I should just stay for a while if I can. So I turned back to the angel who had receded and then came rushing toward me again to carry me away. And I just turned my back and went back into my body. And that was that. Um, so how did you experience the angel? Orb, sort of the, like an orb? Mm, sort of like an amorphous intelligence. Not like a, like a structured orb, but more like a an undulating sort of presence of uh, like movement of energy. Yeah, I'll go with that. Yeah, but inte but intelligence, not like movement. just energy, but but like intelligent like, energy. And it was yeah. like it was two things at once too. It was it was this this entity that was independent, but it was also the divine speaking through it. So and that was the case the first time too. It wasn't like it was a like uh, an independent agent with no connection to the divine, it was in two places at once. It was mm -hmm. both in heaven and with me speaking for the divine and for itself. Mm -hmm. um, and that was what I experienced that first time. And I should say that when I was, when I was dead the first time, God wanted me to stay. I was welcomed. And so that welcome the second time was the same welcome. Come home, stay with us. Uh, sounds like... Hmm sounds like one of your exit points um okay so if all times already happened it's all happening at once or or it all is at once always it's all is at once always. with the wave of the hand so what you're experiencing both times really was the experience of making choice of making choice and so yeah but if but. <laughs> god is omniscient and knows all did God know that I was going to make that choice and let me make it? Well, Would I, I really will it? I don't really know. Uh, well, I suspect that if there are probable realities, like you have okay. a description of seeing, what did you call them? Many different streams, Many, strands. Right, right. What did you call it? Uh, I, I, I called it a, 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 an cables. interwoven cables. Cables, right. So if each cable is a choice point or a probable reality or... Um, a choice point. I guess that 
you're just at one of those choice points. Uh, yes. One probable reality, Peter could have said, yeah, I'm going home. And the other one could have said, no, I'm coming back. Right. Uh, a choice point, just a choice point. That interacts. Which with timeline it. are you going to choose? And Which then uh, affecting all the other timelines of everyone around me. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Exactly. Would have to affect the timeline because yes. you know, the life without grandpa or life with grandpa, are two different timelines, right? For Completely the, different. Yeah. 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 Choice points. Yep. Hmm. So I'm always trying to make choices based in love as best as I'm able to do. And, you know, I, I don't always succeed at that because I'm the person. But the best I'm able to do, that's what I try to choose. Okay. Well, we've been yakking for over an hour now. But uh, you said, because we were yakking a bit on email before this happened, took us a couple of years to get this conversation going because it started in 2017. <laughs> anyway, it's always perfect timing. Um, I was quizzing you on email and you said, this is what you wrote in your email, a close encounter in the summer of 1977 with four friends in a Ford LTD sedan, a UFO stopped directly over us at treetop level, silently hovered there, then drifted off. We gave chase for many miles at 90 miles per hour. It made a right angle turn and never Decelerated. Decelerated. Decel right. Uh, I steered us off the road through the cornfields in order to make a turn to try and catch it. It was waiting for us as we approached it, shot off out into the atmosphere at an impossible speed. Tell us more about that experience. Have you experienced anything since then? No. Um, that was... You described it extraordinarily well. Just that you read it uh, well, pretty read much the well, pretty much pretty much the way it happened. And um, yeah, so it was. It, it I guess what happened since then. All right, I kept that a secret too. I'm good at you know, ministers. Good ministers keep good secrets. So you're out and of the UFO closet now. <laughs> I am, and I came out because the United States Navy came out. Yeah. So this right. So when they came out, I'm like, the Navy can talk about it. So can I. Yeah, so, exactly. so I'm, you know, so I, that's when I started talking about that because they're, they do, these UFOs do things we don't understand physics. That's impossible for us. And moving from standstill to hyper hyperspeed would crush us. If we were, even if we we're able to do it, we can't, the, 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 the G forces would break yeah, us to pieces I know. and right angle turns and hovering oh. and, and no visible jet and no visible engines and silence mm. yeah so so for me this is this is the the theological point of view this really destroys the whole idea of uh anthrocentrism that humanity is the most important creation that there is that we're the center of the universe you know in historical christianity it was it was earth at the center of everything and humanity was the pinnacle of all creation um, and, and then along comes Copernicus and, you know, we get, we get the solar system. And now we know that the, my grandparents didn't even know that how many, that, that the Milky Way existed. And now we know that there are trillions of, of galaxies with trillions of star systems. And we know that there are habitable planets uh, in, in Proxima B and Proxima A nearby, four light years away, potential habitable planets. We are not that important. We're not that special. And I think that's a major shift of our own self-understanding we're okay. just what well this happened to you in 77 so this is a couple of years before you died 
Yes. Did you ask about that when you were in the all knowing? Uh, no, I didn't. I, it's no, I didn't. Uh, but I did ask about all of the universe. Tell me about all of the universe. Yeah. And so when I was dead, I understood, I understood about galaxies and star systems and interplanetary and all of that was like one big huge download, including the structure of molecules and, and electrons. And I have a, I have an interest in physics mm -hmm. and, and all of that was downloaded into me. But the problem being in a human puny little human brain <laughs> is that, is that I, I couldn't, I couldn't bring it all. I could only bring back this much. Okay. So, so for 40 years, have you been trying to access like what you remembered? Oh yes. Every day. Yeah. Every, every day I'm after trying to pull this thing apart. So That's what, I would... what have you been given about, about the, you know, the meaning of the cosmos and the universe and the multiverse and the multidimensions and all that is. What have you well, remembered? Well, I don't. I haven't. I haven't got much on that other than what I read in science. But okay. what I did, what I, what I did. And I'm sorry to just put you like. I'm just. I'm just having that aha moment. So, so to me, I'm just waiting for. I'm just waiting. I'm waiting for the intelligence of these other from these other star systems, other dimensions, wherever they're from, to like come out. And, yeah. And. You know, and and with and then humanity is like, oh, we're really one planet. We're really kind of one people. Um, we're not really, you know, blacks and whites and Asians, and we're all kind of in this together. Mm. That's kind of what I'm waiting for. Mm. Um, well, it's going to happen soon, apparently. Oh, well, apparently so. Well, it's anyway in our lifetime. That's yes. It's I mean, it's already happening. I mean, yeah. this for, the, for your for your audience who doesn't know, they should Google uh, United States Navy UFO, and you will see video, and audio. You'll hear audio recording from Navy jet fighters, mm -hmm. and the Navy came out a couple of weeks ago and said, oh, "We're not going to tell you everything. There are some things that we have to keep aside for national security regarding the UFOs." Oh yeah, so, they've been keeping so, it aside for like 70, 80, 90 years. Right, so there's more to disclosure, learn. Disclosure, soft disclosure. Soft disclosure. That's mm, right. Mm, mm. By the time we know, it'll be easier to grasp. Yeah, I guess. Well, as someone who's been inside the church system, so what flavor of religion are you? You're not Catholic. You're obviously because you're married. So you're like I'm, Protestant Church of England. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Protestant is I'm what flavor am I? I work I I am not religious and I work in religion. I'm a Protestant. I'm You're I'm Protestant. a okay. I'm a Protestant. Yeah, yeah. So inside the church structure, this is not a conversation they're having. I mean, they're just getting up to speed with life after death and <laughs> <laughs> which is really funny. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. <laughs> So do you ever, you know, like, do you ever go there when you're preaching at the pulpit? Uh, oh, yeah. Talk Especially about UFOs the and the ETs and the cosmos. and. I have been known to do that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. and, How does it go down? It, well, uh, the last time I did it, uh, uh, an Air Force uh, fighter jet pilot who was probably 80 came up to me and said, I saw one. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, I think that part of my role is to speak about the things that matter 
that nobody's want, wanting to talk about in church. Because there are there are lots of rules in church. You're not supposed to you're not supposed to talk to mediums. No offense, because you but know, we're all mediums. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that would just like that would just wipe out the population. Don't speak to mediums. Don't speak to anybody. You know. Right. Like, no, I, I totally just, get it. That just um, keeps people in fear. No wonder they're going to church and not speaking about having a dream about dead grandma or dead daughter or whatever. That's right. Then you and would so be that's a medium, my job. You? Yeah. 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 My job is to is in part is to because um, I think Jesus was a either a near death experiencer um, <laughs> or and he Definitely. talks like a near death experience. He talks like one. Definitely he, he, a medium. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was so, just an, an evolved, more evolved. Let me say, evolved a more evolved being than the current pop, than the current humanity at that time. But you know, I think that if Jesus, in his abilities, was here now, he'd be like one of the crowd. There are plenty of people that you know can access yeah, higher consciousness yeah. like he could. Have you have you seen the Have you seen the Netflix show uh, El Masud? No, no. Uh, it's called the. It's uh, also called the Messiah, and it's it just came oh, out. Oh yeah, I did see it. I did watch it. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's called yeah, the Messiah. Yeah, that guy. That was interesting. I don't. Uh, I don't want to ruin it for your audience. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but uh, if if you can do certain miracles, you get more credibility. Well, I think the biggest miracle that Jesus was supposedly had done was to bring back the dead man. And like, you're one of them. Like you, you know, I know. all the yeah. new experiences are people that were dead and that are now alive. So like that miracle, yeah. we can tick that off. Okay. Normal. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I'd like to be able to, but those, a lot of those are science-based. I mean, I'm my, my circumstance was not because of medical science, but most near death experiencers come back because somebody put the paddles on them or shot them up with some drug um, or gave them mouth to mouth. Yeah, um, probably most, but there are many stories of people waking but, up in morgues. Yeah. You know, they've been oh, yeah. put in the Oh no, I hear you. I hear you. I'm like and, that. I you know, yeah. they didn't they didn't nobody brought me back the first time. Yeah. 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 Now if I could walk on water, okay, that'd be totally cool. <laughs> Well, you know, a couple of years we'll be able to walk on water. I'm working at it. There I'm working at it. Water ski, that's walking on water. I water ski. I used to water ski. I, <laughs> yeah, and I snow ski. That's water. that's like that's the same thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, we'll wrap it up now. What was I gonna say? There was something I was gonna say. Anyway, any last messages to people listening to this? Uh, how do you want people to live their life with this information? To learn to love each other and find a practice of meditation. Because if you want to, if you want to go without, you have to go within, and the, the meditation, at its best. Hang on, hang on. If you want to go without, you have to go. You mean if you don't want to go without, you have to go. No, without. no, no. If you want to go, if you want to go outside yourself without. Oh, oh if you want to go you outside to go, yourself, you have to go within. So you outside yourself, within. like you know, talking to God or dead people. Yes. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to go or aliens or ETs or, or aliens or and all that stuff. <laughs> polish, polish your lens, meditate, find a meditation practice, um, and and seek the divine. Seek, you know, it, people always want to the gifts of God, but really, if you get if you seek God, then you get the gifts. Yeah. So seek seek heaven and love each other. That's really the essence of it all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, beautiful, Peter. Well, that was a fun conversation. Thank you so much. Definitely. It's been a 
couple of years in the making, but we got there. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you very much. Peace to you, Karen. Was that my Aussie accent? Was that good? <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so I should say hi to my the Panagaris family in New South Wales. Oh. Hi, Panagarises. They're all my family cousins. So. Oh, there you go. <laughs> all right, peace and love. What a fun conversation with Peter. Peter, we were just talking about names. He was so funny. He was trying to pronounce my name with my, what he thinks is my cute Australian accent. And I was just telling him that Cara and the way I pronounce my name is not the cute Australian accent. It's just the way my mother insisted people pronounce my name. And I also have a Peter as a brother and she used to insist people say Peter and not Peter. She, he, Peter, Peter was just saying, Everyone calls him Peter in, um, in the States or in some of the places in the Bronx and stuff like that. So, yes, a fun conversation. And uh, he's got so much to share. We could have chatted. We could do a weekly show, the two of us, I'm sure. He's got so much to share and so many more experiences that we didn't explore. But um, it was fun exploring his UFO experience when he was, uh, he would have been a teenager, probably would have been about 17, 18 when that happened, when he saw the UFO. What do you think that that meant in his life? I wonder why he saw that all those years ago and hasn't seen it since, and then has a couple of near-death experiences under his belt. Interesting. I feel like he's completely connected to galactic guides and he's got galactic guides talking to him, but in the, in the, in the way that he shares his messages that, you know, in church, that probably wouldn't be, wouldn't help him. Um, sort of speaking about that or even knowing that really maybe it will a bit later who knows if we the soft disclosure ramps up and we get more and more um, understanding as a human as humanity opens to the reality of our cosmic family so interesting anyway I've got so many interesting people coming up oh, in, the, in the sanctum just had an email from Blair Styrer this morning because uh, um, I don't know our emails haven't been getting through he's going to be a guest teacher in the inner sanctum our online sessions so he channels Tabash who is a supposedly 5,000 year old soul his last incarnation on earth was 5,000 years ago and he speaks um, he full body channels through Blair and Blair walks around and as this different point of consciousness personality I suppose uh, and teaches deliberate creation. He's, he's a wonderful teacher. Both Blair and Tabash are wonderful teachers. If you watch the show I did with Blair probably about a year ago now, you'll see us talking about his experience with his wife, who was about 20 years older than him, who went through Alzheimer's and, and what he learned through um, being a carer for his wife. For, yeah, it's a beautiful conversation I had with Blair, an absolutely beautiful conversation. And then Tabash comes in at the end of our conversation and, and that's it. And he was a hoot. I had a, I had a, I had a ball with Tabash, talking with Tabash. So he's going to be our guest teacher in the Inner Sanctum coming up in mid-February around the 9th or the 10th, uh, 9th US time, 10th Australian time. If you want to meet Blair, join us in the Inner Sanctum. Um, you can join for just one. It's about 57 Australian dollars or it's like about 35 American dollars, but it's a lot cheaper if you sign up for the subscription. It's, it's a lot cheaper. And if you pay for the whole year, it's even cheaper. 
So what's happening this year is if you pay for the whole year, which is $3.95, you get a half hour session with me. I quiz you about why you've joined and what you want to get out of it and where you are on your spiritual journey and connect you to your guides if you're not connected. And anyway, you can ask me questions and uh, quiz me and, and then I'm online every, every other week. And you can also ask me questions and of course meet our guest teachers. That's what happens in the Inner Sanctum. And I've got much, many more fascinating people coming up for the show. I've been booking people in like crazy. The beginning of this year, I've sort of booked out until about May now. So lots of fun, lots of fun. But the Inner Sanctum is great. And after the Inner Sanctum is Zane Daniels. He's, he was also on the show last year. He is the activator the, of um, the New World Teachers. He activates crystals. Awaken. I loved talking with him. He... Um, was working in IT, making uh, video games, what do you call it, Game gaming. And uh, his story is, is brilliant. It's beautiful. I really, really enjoyed talking with Zane. He's a lovely, lovely man. And interestingly enough, since our conversation on the show, because he's someone that woke up reasonably recently in the last few years, his, his, his journey uh, is deepening. So every time I talk to people, you know, after I do the shows with them, there's always... A deepening as they move on their spiritual journey a deepening and understanding and of course understanding all this stuff and living it are two completely separate things it's like how do we live what we've come to understand and insert that into our daily experience that's why I was quizzing Peter about how we fight with someone and love them <laughs> at the same time because you would think that fighting with somebody or defending yourself yeah it's an interesting idea it's an interesting idea how you can fight with someone and love them at the same time. Jane Elworthy is coming up, beautiful sound healer in the inner sanctum. Jeff O'Driscoll is going to come in and speak to us too. He was the surgeon who had all these mystical, or I don't want to call them spiritual or psychic experiences when he was a surgeon. He had no vernacular for it, so he didn't understand that he was working as a medium and, and, and experiencing, you know, he was talking to dead people, saw souls leave their body as he's walking through the ER and oh, look, amazing, fascinating man. Belinda Womack, who channels the Archangels. Oh, she's just exquisite. She's coming up in the Inner Sanctum this year too. I act, I'm really thrilled she's coming in. She's a little picky when she comes to going on people's shows or even extending her work out because she's so super sensitive, so super psychic and Anyway, we had a great conversation on the show. It was just beautiful. You can just feel that angelic energy as you hear her speak and channel the angels. Oh, so gorgeous. Rob Schwartz, Robert Schwartz, Soul Planning, Kevin Briggs. Oh, there's so many people coming in. So join us this year. It's not expensive. And as I say, if you join for the whole year, which is like about 395 Australian, kind of makes it just over $300 or, I don't know, 350 American. I'm not sure. But our dollar is really low at the moment. And then you get a half an hour session with me thrown in. So it's well worth it. And uh, I hope to see you in the inner sanctum. Or if you don't want to be online with a whole lot of people, you can always have a one-on-one -on -one session with me if you want to quiz me and my guides and find out who you are, why you're here and what you're here to do. Or how you're here to do it. <laughs> anyway, any questions you like, you can ask. Lots of love to you. Remember to buy the book, Awakened by Death and I'll, um, I'll see you next week. Big love. Bye for now.